Hi everyone, I'm Sanhara and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but is specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men, you guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to be sharing my nearly six-year battle with infertility and give my thoughts on why we as Black women are ashamed to share our stories. Vasectomy and false alarm. husband he had a vasectomy but he was very vocal about wanting to have more children Uh, so he had a reverse vasectomy and we got married shortly after that uh, on leap day uh, February 29th 2012 and so maybe a month into um, us being married I missed my cycle so he thought I was pregnant and I went to the doctor Uh, he came with me Uh, his name is Ron we went to the doctor and the doctor my OBGYN she says to me you're not pregnant and so we were a little disappointed, but we weren't super disappointed because we had only been married for a month. Uh, but one of the things that happens uh, is that when you get married, people continually ask you, when are you having children? When are you having children? Are you, gonna, are you pregnant? What's going on? And so I felt a lot of pressure even within the first few months of being married uh, that I wasn't pregnant on day one. And so six months down the line, I still wasn't pregnant. And so I go back to the doctor and I tell her, you know, I'm concerned because I'm not pregnant. And at the time I was 31 and she says to me, well, you know, you're under 35 and, you know, the, in your particular age group, we typically wait for a year, uh, 12 months of you trying unless we see that there's a specific issue. Um, and so I went back home, I continued to try and I came back to her, I want to say maybe three months later. And I told her, you know, I'm still not pregnant. And she says, you know what, why don't we try this? Let's run some tests. Um, They ran some tests. They uh, checked my hormone levels, checked my blood work, did labs, all that stuff. Everything was completely fine. And she said, well, I think that we should try something called Clomid because it can increase your chances. And so for those that don't know, uh, Clomid is a medication that you take if you're not ovulating on a monthly basis, if you're ovulating too early or late in your cycle. Uh, But in my particular case, I was ovulating on my own. She just thought that this could increase my chances because Clomid increases egg production. So I did the Clomid, I want to say for three or four months. It didn't work. Uh, So I go back to her and I, you know, ask her what's next. And she says, you know, I can't find anything wrong with you. I think it's time for you to see a fertility specialist. Uh, So she gives me a printout of a number of fertility specialists and tells me to pick one. Um, I picked one that I felt comfortable with. We went, me and my husband met, met, went and met with the fertility doctor. Um, my OBGYN had sent over all my lab work, all the testing I had done with them to the fertility doctor. So when I got there, the fertility doctor was looking over all my blood work, all my hormones, uh, lab work and stuff like that. And she looks at me, she looks at my husband because she had a sperm analysis. And she says, you two are the worst two people who could have found each other. Chasing a Diagnosis and Perfect Anatomy. So we're looking confused because we don't know what she's talking about. And she says to me, she says, Sanhara, you have high insulin. Uh, High insulin is a precursor for diabetes. 
Um, and she said, Ron, you have low motility and low motility is the rate in which your sperm move. Uh, so her recommendation is that we try IUI. Um, but before we did IUI, she wanted to do more testing. And I said to her, you know, I'm confused about the high insulin thing, but, you know, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And so she sent me to nutritionist. I completely changed my diet. I took out um, everything, all white rices, uh, pastas, breads. Um, I ate everything organic, which is extremely expensive. Pretty much anything that I could eat was healthy. That's all I ate. Um, and so during this process, I'm still doing testing with them because we're looking for further diagnosis. We're trying to figure out, you know, what is the root of the problem aside from the high insulin. And um, we go and we do a HSG exam. And with the HSG exam, they shoot a dye uh, through your uterine cavity and I believe into the cervix. And it's supposed to show there's any blockages. And so with me, they shot the dye through and um, we did it at a radiology um, office, um, hospital rather. So it was a radiologist there, it was the infertility doctor, and it was a nurse. And so my infertility doctor said to me, you know, I'm sure we're going to find out what the problem is, you know, what, what other problems there are once we shoot this dye. I'm sure there's a blockage, we're going to find a blockage, and you're going to get pregnant one, two, three. They shot the dye um, through my body, and they can see it um, while they're doing it. And she looks at me, and she says, you have perfect anatomy. And I said, well, what does that mean? She said, if I was to look in a textbook, I would find your anatomy there. That's how perfect it is. And so I left there just feeling really, really confused. First, I was happy. Happy because I'm like, oh, well, they can't find anything wrong except for me having high insulin and I have perfect anatomy. But then I was confused because I'm like, well, if she's saying I have perfect, perfect anatomy, but I'm not getting pregnant, then what's the problem? So uh, we do three IUIs with the fertility doctor. Um, they didn't work. And that particular fertility doctor ended up leaving the practice because she relocated. And so the fertility clinic said to us, you know, do you guys want to try a new doctor? And so we, we did. So we found another doctor there. And she immediately said to me, um, you know, asked me, was I on metformin? I told her I didn't even know what metformin was. And she said, it's a medication that people take who have PCOS. And I said, I don't know, even know what PCOS is. And she said, polycystic ovary syndrome. And she said, it's a, it's a hormone condition in women where your hormones can become um, out of balance. It can cause you to have miscycles cycles or cause problems with your periods and can cause you to have difficulty in getting pregnant. And I said, I've never heard of it. And she said, well, you didn't know that you had PCOS. I said, no, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. Metformin and a funeral. So after all that time, I guess this is probably like a year or so had passed, I finally get a diagnosis. Um, which was the PCOS. And then I'm like, okay, well, I was kind of happy because I have a diagnosis, but then I was still confused because I didn't have any of the indicators of PCOS except for the high insulin. So I get on the metformin, which the metformin, although it's a diabetes medication, they use it for people with PCOS as well. And so I got on the metformin and the metformin 
made me extremely, extremely sick. Uh, so uh, with the second fertility doctor, we did, I want to say, three or four IUIs, and they all failed. And that was over, I want to say, a two-year span. And that whole time I was on metformin. And metformin, for me and a few other people I know who have taken it, um, made me really, really sick. And sick to the point where I couldn't keep anything in my stomach. So if I ate something, I was running to the bathroom because I just felt ill. And um, that went on for two years. And so during that whole process, I lost weight. And I'm already tall. I'm already skinny. And so people would say to me, oh, you need to eat or you're not eating enough or, you know, are you trying to starve yourself? And anyone who really knows me knows that I like to eat. I like a good meal um, and I'm never going to turn away a plate. And so when people were saying to me, you know, you're too skinny, you need to eat more, do this, do that. I really was getting pissed off because I was thinking to myself that sometimes people don't think before they say things. You know, obviously they didn't know all the things that I had gone through. Um, up to that point because I didn't tell. And so um, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother had passed away at this time and we drove to her funeral because my younger sister was pregnant and she was close to being due and she, so she couldn't get on a plane. So my husband drove us up there. That morning I ate breakfast and I took my metformin, which I normally did because I took it three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we're driving along and I got sick, sick as a dog, so sick that I literally was turning green and my um, sisters were like trying to figure out what's going on with me. I was like hunched over in the front seat and we were 30 miles away from a gas station to use a restroom. So when we finally got to the gas station, you know, I ran to the restroom and uh, my husband said to me afterwards, you know, you need to tell them what's going on. And I said, I'm not telling them anything. And he was like, well, don't take any more of the metformin pills until we get to New York. So we get to New York the following day. We're at my parents' house. My parents actually weren't there. Uh, I'm not sure where they were. I think they were preparing for the funeral. Uh, but they weren't home. It was just me and my sisters and my two nieces. Uh, my older niece at the time, I want to say she had just graduated high school. And my younger niece was in middle school. So my husband took it upon himself to tell them the reason why I had gotten so sick in the car was because I'm doing fertility treatments and I'm on metformin, which really makes me sick. It upsets my body. Um, and that I had been diagnosed with PCOS. And I was pissed off because I didn't feel, one, that was his place to tell them anything, let alone we're there um, to prepare for a funeral. And two, I felt like it was a blame thing because one of the things that happens, I want to talk about in a future episode, is that becomes a blame thing. It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And so, and that goes back and forth like a boomerang. And so I was pissed because he didn't tell them that he had low motility, but he felt the need to tell that I was diagnosed with PCOS and I had been taking this medication. So because we were there for a funeral, you know, people like my sisters asked a few questions, but they didn't ask much. When I got back home, um, which I was living in Atlanta, I got back home, they started asking more questions. And my nieces started texting me, you know, asking me what's okay and what I was going to do in terms of having a kid. And so it was comforting to have, you know, that support system, but it also bothered me that he told them because I was not ready to be outed in a sense. Um, and so I don't remember before we went there, if we had a failed IUI, I don't remember in my mind the time frame. But when we got back from New York, got back to Atlanta, I got accepted into grad school. 
And so we both decided that we were just going to take a break on the fertility because it really was becoming exhausting. Grad school and reclaiming my life. So I got into grad school at NYU and I moved back to New York, which is where I'm from originally. And um, me and my husband had already talked about not doing any more fertility treatments, uh, which I was fine with that. But I wanted to stay on the metformin because I wanted to increase my chances of having a child and making my body as healthy as it could be. And so I think it was only like the second day of class and I had taken the metformin and I was coming back home and I got sick and sick to where I almost did not make it back home on the train. And so after that, my husband was like, you just need to stop the metformin and stop taking everything. And I did. And first I was sad about it because I'm like, oh, you know, if I'm not taking this, you know, what's going to happen with my body? You know, what's, you know, am I going to get pregnant on my own? And I was sad about that for, I would say, a month or so. And then I literally was so busy with school that I didn't have time to think about any of that stuff. My days consisted of going to class, writing and doing these assignments and getting things done on time. And it took up every single day of my life. And when I wasn't in school, when I was on break from school, um, I went on vacations with my husband. And I actually started to enjoy my life again. Uh, because one of the things that happens when you're going through fertility treatments is you stop enjoying your life. And I, I've said this before, uh, doing the fertility treatments, which I'm grateful for the technological advances, uh, but it's also a very unnatural process uh, to be poked and prodded and to have all the stuff done to you just to try to have a child. And so it was good to get off of that roller coaster and it was good to just get my life back. And I think I was enjoying that time too much because this was a two-year span and I was enjoying my life a little bit too much because I was not, uh, in my mind, I was not focused on having a kid again. If it happened, it happened, but I wasn't going to get back on the same roller coaster I was on that I had been on before. A christening and a prophecy. So my uh, niece, who's also my goddaughter, um, was having a christening. And my brother, uh, of course, and his wife had asked me would I come. And I said, no, I can't come because I had uh, just literally gotten an apartment on the West Coast. And financial wise, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, my husband was like, well, you really need to go because you're the godmother. And so last minute I go, I want to say I booked my flight like two or three days before I go get up there. Um, and when the service was almost close to over, the uh, guest speaker, uh, who also happened to be uh, my niece's uh, godfather, who I hadn't met before, um, he started praying for people. So as he's praying for them, he calls me up and he says to me, you know, God wants you to focus on having children again. He says, you're focused on your career and you're focused on all this other stuff. He wants you to focus on having children again. And so the same feelings that I felt when my husband had outed me in front of my sisters, I felt that same feeling again, standing in front of the church with everyone there. And literally I'm crying and most of the people there were family or extended friends and uh, people that I've known for years and years and years who did not know what I was going through. And so, you know, I'm crying as I'm walking back to my seat. 
And the only thing I could think of, if I can just get to the restroom and I can just go in there by myself and lock the door, you know, then I can just get myself together. And so as I hope no one says anything to me, but as I'm walking back to my seat, someone says to me innocently, you know, you're going to have your children when the time is right. And so I really just like started like crying, like bawling them. And so at that point, I'm just like, okay, um, I'm going to go to the bathroom, lock myself in there for a while, which I stayed in there for a while. And then when I came out, I felt like, okay, now I have to face the world again. And I'm facing the world with everyone knowing that I'm dealing with this issue. Um, so I leave there. I think I was in New York for the, for the weekend. I leave there. I fly back to Atlanta and I tell my husband, you know, I've been thinking about it and I really want to focus on, you know, having kids again. And you know, we both agreed um, but because I was still, I live in, also in L.A., it was kind of like, you know, well, we got to figure out the right time. And so this September, we went back to the fertility doctor and we decided we're going to come up with a plan. Facing infertility. So while I'm at the fertility doctor, I want to do IVF. My husband wanted to do IUI um, because it's less money. And he felt like giving IUI another shot would be good. I didn't feel that way because we had several failed IUIs. I don't know if it was seven or however many. It was a lot of failed IUIs. So I felt like that was a waste of time. And so the doctor agreed and she said, you know, I think it's time for you guys to do IVF. And so for the next episode, I want to talk about my IVF process uh, because it failed, uh, which is a whole nother discussion. Um, and I also want to talk about uh, the whole process of going through the IVF and the injections and the pills and the frequent doctor visits and uh, them taking your blood every other, whatever, how many days it was. It just It's a really crazy process for trying to have a child. And so I want to talk about that on the next podcast. Why we are ashamed to speak up. But also one of the things I feel like why we as black women are ashamed to share our stories is that culturally we're taught not to air out our dirty laundry. And so naturally we're taught to keep our, our personal business to ourselves. And I always tell people, you know, that's a good thing when it comes down to certain situations, but when it come down, comes down to others, it's actually very detrimental because you need to have people in your corner. You need to have a support system. So even for me, even though I was pissed off, you know, that I was outed both times, you know, be it through my husband and be it through, you know, being at church from someone innocently praying for me. Um, it was a thing of, you know, I don't want people to know about this. But now that people know, people call me or people text me and say, I'm praying for you, I'm thinking about you, or, you know, I feel like I do have a support system in the sense that I'm able to rely on people to keep me, um, I wouldn't say afloat emotionally, because unless you've been in a situation, you don't know how to deal with it or you don't know exactly what those emotions are but just people who are thinking about me and who are wishing the best for me so that's 
very helpful for me. And when I started this podcast, I reached out to three people that I know who are dealing with currently dealing with infertility and I wanted them to be on to share their story because you never know in sharing your story you can help other people it's not always about you and they didn't want to do it and so that to me that is such a bigger issue and that's why this podcast exists this is why I'm doing this because we have to find a way to talk about this issue. And I know there are a ton of podcasts out there. You could be listening to anything right now, but I'm grateful that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. So if you could do me a favor and just tell a friend about it, spread the word about it, Facebook about it, Instagram about it. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please go to my website, Black Girls Guide to fertility.com go to the contact page uh, go to the mailing list I want to hear your story I want to hear from you because this is all about community I can't do this without you and we need to find a way to talk we need to find a way to start dialogue because when we have dialogue it leads to resources and resources leads to hope and if you don't have hope in this journey then you know you're you're fighting an uphill battle so I just want to let you guys know that I'm here for you, I'm thinking for you, and shoot me a message and let me know your thoughts. Thank you for listening to me, Sinhara Eastman, on the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast.